Well, I want to tell you that um, this is really like uh, some kind of dream. I mean, six years ago, we, we conceived of, with uh, the council and myself, meeting with uh, Rasmussen, the old facility, and said, we want, we want to leave. We want to go. And, and, and that negotiation is actually how we wound up being able to walk away from a facility without having to pay any money. Uh, for those of you who didn't know, at the time, five, six years ago, it was a, a figure of $750,000 to leave. $750,000. And we said, uh, no, uh, we, we, don't, we don't think so. Um, so anyway, when we negotiated, it was at the end of the five years, you could walk away. And uh, here we are. So... As I was, I was driving in, I wanted to go down Shasta just because it was such a, a part of habit. But um, Because also, I was a teaching pastor here in 1999. So that's how far I go back in terms of uh, being involved with the uh, morphing of this particular congregation. Antioch, what a great, a great church and a great name. And I love what Paul said. Um, Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press ahead. And I, I, you know, I think that's where this church is at. Though we'll never forget the past, it's part of who we are. Uh, Paul said, you know, a lot of that you gotta let go. You just gotta go on. You gotta press ahead for your high calling in Christ. Amen? Uh, my wife, Connie, would love to have been here. Last year, about the same time, Pastor John said, hey, could you come? And, and I came and spoke, and Connie wasn't with me because we had a grandbaby, a little girl. Well, um, yeah, here, show the, go ahead and show the picture. This is a little boy that we had this year, <laughs> uh, two days ago. So that's little Andy who made his way into the world. Our baby, Danielle, um, that's her uh, first uh, baby. So... Um, she's a labor and delivery nurse, and her husband's a surgical nurse, and that's little Andy. So um, uh, that's where Connie is. So she gives her love and grace to all of you. Wish she could be here. Uh, John, need, Pastor John needs to pick some day where I'm not having grandkids, I, you know? So, um, but, uh, you know, there, some of the stories of our life, if I, if I were to unpack our life for you, for those of you who don't know us, um, it's, I don't have to make up anything. I don't have to um, uh, embellish it. It's just the way God has moved in our lives. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. And 40 years ago, can you imagine that? I was 10. You know, was just... <laughs> and I had hair. Yeah, I'm, I'm embellishing now. Um, 40 years ago was my first trip to Africa. I went when I was 20 years old. And I remember going and saying, oh, I'll probably never be back. It's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Well, that wasn't true. Um, so the Lord has opened up all sorts of doors to um, going to Tanzania, Zaire, uh, Kenya, over the last uh, 40 years. And investing in the same area, investing mostly in the n- northern Kenya area um, in uh, um, what they call the Mount Kenya. Several years ago, well, it's been about five years ago, somebody came up to me. Now, I have never done this. I've never invested in land in Kenya, never had done it, didn't want to do it, never even thought about it. 
somebody came up to him, one of the pastors and a group of pastors says, we have a, a great pastor um, and they would like to buy some land for their church. And I said, and I go, well, how can we help? He said, they've raised about 20, 20% of the money they need. He said, they need about, they need $2,500 to buy the property. I want you all to think about that, $2,500 um, for about a, a quarter of an acre of land. And I go, well, so I went to a donor. A donor said, yeah, I'll buy it, no problem. Wrote the check. So we went there, we bought the property, and everybody clapped and cheered, and we got around, you know, everybody, yay. Um, I came here after I got back. You were the first church I spoke at when I came back from that trip. And I just kind of casually mentioned to um, the church, I said, hey, we bought some property, $2,500. Here's, here's a picture. Isn't that wonderful? Um, well, somebody from this congregation came up and said, I want to buy some property. I want to buy some. And I go, okay. So they wrote a check, and we bought the second pro- a second property. All right. Well, then the lady and her husband, who wrote the money for the first property, said, well, we're not done. <laughs> what do you mean? They, we we got to help them build a church. And I go, well... I don't ever built a church in Kenya. I don't have any idea how much that cost. So we went into it, and long story short, um, she said, well, how, what do you think? I said, well, to build a spectacular building, $100,000. I mean, a spectacular building. And, um, she, and so I thought, well, that'd be the end of it. You know. Well, two weeks later, I got a check for $100,000. <laughs> so then I go, now what do I do? So we went to the, past, we went to the pastors there, and I said, I really was flying by the seat of my pants on this one. And they go, we can build a really nice building for $30,000. A nice building, not spectacular, but nice. It, it's it's uh, corrugated tin roof. It'll have, uh, um, it'd be, have electricity in it. It'll have a, a little uh, bathroom out and back. You know, nice building, 30000 So I called the donor back and I said, how, how about we do three? And she said, great. Her husband said, wonderful. So we bought three properties, and we're going to build three churches. And the picture you see, this is the third church that we've built. Now, go to the next, the next picture. I mean, it's a nice building. You go to the, you can, I think that, is that it? Maybe, I don't know if there's one more of the inside or not. There's the inside. I mean, come on. I was, I, I was blown away. This is the third one we've done. So I said, done, you know. <laughs> I did what God gave me resources for. There we have it. Well, a friend of ours came this week, there a couple months ago, sat in our living room and said, we sold our business. We feel like we're supposed to give some money to, to Kenya. Okay. I thought $5,000, you know, something like that. And um, he goes, uh, what do you need? And I said, well, we, have, we bought a fourth property. So I said, well, it'd be nice to build a fourth church. I said, I didn't plan on it, but it'd be nice to do that. He goes, well, okay, 50000 Well, I'm, I'm speechless, you know, and I go, well, that would, that would be, he goes, okay, 75. <laughs> he goes, oh, okay, 80. I'll give, you, I'll give you 80. So he wrote a check in my living room for $80,000. Another person heard about it and gave 20. I have more money now for building in Kenya than I started with. So we bought seven properties. <laughs> we, just, listen, folks, I don't ask for this. 
I didn't run around looking for it. I don't advertise. There's nothing on the internet. Just God speaks to people and they come and said, hey, I want to help. So we have now purchased seven properties. Um, I really believe we'll build um, four more churches. And uh, we're going next year um, on a trip in May to dedicate this church and the fourth church that we'll build. And what we do when we go to these churches, we do a vacation Bible school in the evenings. We do medical clinic during the day using the facility. Um, the last medical clinic we did with two nurses and, and a doctor, we, we saw 600 people in three days. Man. Now, this, this, this will kind of give you an idea, okay, just a little bit. Every person who comes in gets prayed for. And many people get healed before they ever come in because we, because we pray for them first. And, and so they're coming in, and, and um, we, ha- we make up a, a pharmacy of just pills and stuff, you know, that uh, we have a doctor there, so we make, we're, we're the pharmacists. He'll say, give us this, give us this. We put them in little bags and give them to the people and write on what they're supposed to do. Well, we dropped a Tylenol on the ground. Just dropped it. Um, and so it was, it's dirt, you know, so we picked it up and I was going to throw it away. And our driver that was driving us around, he says, can I have that? And I said, yeah, but it's, we dropped it. We're just going to throw it away. He goes, oh, no. He said, I will keep it for if my children have need of this in the future, I will have, a, I will have one to give them. I felt like such a, I go, God, we can go anywhere. We got barn loads of Advil and Tylenol and whatever else. Um, and it, it just grips your heart because it's a different, you know, you realize how blessed we are and how I don't want to take anything for granted. And I'm just, just does me in. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm grateful for this church because you've invested in the last uh, 10 years, uh, 12 years in um, these trips that we've taken. And I just want you to know, um, I don't forget that. And uh, thank you for your giving and thank you for being able to do stuff like this. Um, these churches never ever believed they would ever have a building like you. <laughs> ever. <laughs> and then to have God um, supply financially, I'm just, I'm, I'm blessed. All right. I'm convinced of the world that we live in today. This is what they want from Christians. They want us to feed the poor They want us to reach out to our neighborhoods and they want us to keep our mouths shut. You listening? Go ahead, do your work. Be socially acceptable. But we don't want to hear about your Jesus. We don't want to hear about your thoughts. We don't want to hear about your theology. We don't care. Um, I saw Joel Olstein in an interview after the Supreme Court rulings and um, some of the things about what's happening in in our world about gay marriage and the stuff that certainly is out, it's out there. And Joel Olstein, you know how he's, <laughs> everything's wonderful, you know. And, and so in the interview, he goes, uh, the lady asked him, what do you, how do you feel about the Supreme Court rulings? He says, we just love everybody. We just, we just love everyone, which is true, we do. We just love everyone. And she kept pressing him, and he said, and he said ma'am, I take my marching orders from a higher source. And he's the one who wrote my marching orders, not me. So I said, he goes, it's not me making those decisions. It's, it's my boss. And he's the one I have to answer to. And I thought, you know what? Good, a- good answer, Joel. So um, 
I'm, I'm convinced that we're supposed to keep our mouths shut and not talk about what the world's, you know, the world can voice whatever it wants to voice as loud as it wants to voice it. But if Christians stand up and said, I mean, even the song that was saying, and thank you, Mr. Ostrock, for that, um, says, I won't be quiet anymore. There's a price for that. There's a price for that. So um, I want to talk about going all in. I don't gamble. I don't smoke. I don't drink. So I, I have grandchildren, you know. They take all my time and all my money. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to, but I, I do watch every once in a while people playing cards on TV, playing Texas you know, hold them. I've never played Texas home. I don't even have any idea how to do it, but I like watching people spend their money. <laughs> you ever been like on a cruise and they have, you know, people gamble? I just go watch them. Connie, what are you doing? I say, I just watch people throw their money away. It's awesome, you know. <laughs> but in Texas Hold'em, it finally comes to a place where somebody's going to say what? I'm all in. And they, they bet the whole, the whole pile. I'm all in. As Christians, we've got to come to the place with God where we're willing to say, I'm all in. Let's go for broke. Let, 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 let's do it. Let's, let's, and I, if you're going to bet something, bet faith. Amen. Bet faith. And that's why, you know, it, it's kind of like getting a haircut. You've got to be all in. You know, once you start it, it's you look at mine. Look at this. <laughs> my wife cuts my hair. She's been cutting it for 100 years. And we'll sit in our living room. No kidding. And Connie will be cutting my hair. And she goes, how's your family? <laughs> so we'll have this conversation about our kids, our grandkids, and I, you know, and I said, my wife's giving me fits, you know. <laughs> so it's really, it's really a lot of fun. But, you know, you can't go halfway in a lot of things. You got, you got to be all or nothing. And that's why so much of recorded history has people who went all in. I mean, when Hitler was attacking Britain, Winston Churchill said, we're all in. It's not going to stop. We are not going to give up. And And so... Those things that we look at, and Edison tried 1,500 different light bulbs, but he didn't quit. He said, I know there's something that will make this work, and he does, and and he, he was all in. John Knox at 21 years old, can you imagine? In Scotland, 21 years old, John Knox said, give me Scotland or let me die. Now, that's all in, folks. The greatest revival ever recorded in Scottish history was through John Knox. How would you like the Queen of England to say this about you? I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear the armies of England. That's, woo, that's a a statement. That's why John Stott said this, if the church realistically accepted Jesus' standards and his values and set forth in Scripture and lived them out, it would be the alternative society had always intended it to be and would offer to our world an authentic Christian counterculture. 
if people just were all in. T.R. Glover said, the early Christian church conquered because the Christians simply outlived, outfought, and outdied the pagans around them. I like that. <laughs> and that's why we're, we're in a wager. That's what we're doing. We're betting. It's more than chips. It's more than currency. It's more than credit. We're betting faith. We're betting on faith. There's some guys in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 who bet on faith. A guy named I, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all put their faith on the line on a God they could not see and a God who had no name. He said, we believe that you are because you're a rewarder of those who seek him. How about Deborah? She put it all in. She said, I'm a woman and I'm a judge, but if God's going to do some delivering, he can use me. And the characters of Esther. How about Esther? Esther came to a place where the king hadn't asked for her to come in 30 days. And she said, there's only one rule in the kingdom. If I ask to see him and he does not want me to come and doesn't give me a gold scepter to touch, I'm dead. That is the law. But she said, I will fast and pray for three days, but I'm all in. I'll go. And if it doesn't work, I accept the consequence. That's all in, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, even when Joshua was going to cross the Jordan and it was at flood stage, can you imagine taking the Ark of the Covenant, which is the prize of Israel, and says, let's go. And the guy goes, it's flood stage. He said, I know, but we're all in. Either God's going to move or he's not. Either he's going to do it or he isn't. And so the, this, this point of being all in and the, with this ultimate bet. And that's why even today I think there's a crisis in the belief, the simple belief of what God's word says. That we just, you've got to buy what the book says. You know, I think the difference between myself and many times others, I actually believe this. I've lived this out all of my Christian life. And it's always proven true every time. You can't outgive God. You can trust him in what he says he will do. And that's why it, we need a renewal in the grasp of who we really are, the church. Jesus Christ died for the church. The church, it changes. In culture, it changes. But it doesn't change who our boss is and what he's up to. Um, you're more than a local congregation. You are the body of Christ. The greatest building ever built is not made out of cement or wood or stucco. The greatest building ever built is people where the kingdom of God is built within us and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So it's more than just tradition. It's more than just buildings. It's who we are. And that's why the, the vital need is to reproduce yourself in Christ. If every one of you in this room, all of you, just simply led one person to Christ this year, the church would double in a year. Just one. If you invested in the kingdom and asked God to build himself and others. John Wesley said that if I had 300 men that knew nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified and did not love their lives unto death, I could turn the world upside down. 
just the 300. And you know that uh, I want to talk today about a guy in your notes. You should have notes that look something like this. Um, in Luke chapter 21, it says in verse 24, he saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, what did she put in? Everything. Everything she had to live on. Now that's all in. That's just saying, I'll do it. We'll, 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 we'll put this at that place. G.K. G.K. Chesterton said, courage is about, is, is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of your readiness to die. That's courage. All in. All right. Nike's told us, what's the Nike? Uh, just do it. You see a Nike swish all over the world, and you know, without even a name, you just see the swish, you know what it is. It's Nike. We should be able to see crosses all over the world and know what it represents and who he is. Okay, let's go with me to 2 Kings. We're going to see a guy. Um, His name is Naaman, and he's going to go all in. And your first uh, point there is a problem that persists. A problem that persists. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. If you have a Bible, I'm reading out of the NIV flavor. Whatever you have is fine. If you have an iPad, your phone, whatever. Or you can just watch the screen. (laughs) Either one. All right. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Ram. Now, I want you to see that. It's a fascinating statement that God uses the enemies of Israel to punish Israel. What? But it says the Lord had given victory to Aram, and God told him, I can use whoever I want to punish you. All right. He was a valiant soldier. But... He had leprosy. Leprosy is a death sentence. No cure. They didn't know how and what to do with it except separate people, keep them out. They're unclean. Leprosy, we know today, attacks the nerve endings. And so the nerve endings diminish in people. And what happens with lepers is they can't feel pain. So when they nick their foot, they hit their hand, they do something, it gets infected. And because they can't feel it, it keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. Eventually, that's what erodes their bodies, basically, is the lack of these nerve endings that happens with leprosy. And it begins to break down the body. And so here he is. This guy is, um, you know, it's kind of like swimming, Anybody have a pool and it's cold? Do you ever just kind of put your foot in and put your leg in and put your hand in? What's the best way? Just go in, man. Just jump in. Just go for it. 
Well, Naaman's got this place that in 853 B.C., Naaman was a great man. I mean, a great man. If there, was, if there was a GQ magazine in that day, Naaman would have been on the front of it. If there was homes and chariots, <laughs> Naaman, his house would have been on the front page. His crib would have been where everybody went. Naaman would have made People Magazine. He would have been in the local news. Um, they would have put him in everything. He would have been hanging out with George and Bill and George Jr. and uh, Barack. They would all have had Naaman hanging out. For those of you who can remember um, Operation Desert Storm, there was a guy named Storman Norman Schwarzkopf. It would have been Storman Naaman. At that day, Naaman was it. Naaman was hot. Naaman was leprous. Very few would have known it. He would have kept it to himself because they're not Jewish. There was no uncleanliness, but they would have separated him out. He was really great, mega great. And that's why Naaman had a problem that persisted with no hope of any change. Naaman is going to be asked to do some things. So let's look at the second one, a prophet's possibility. A prophet's possibility. 2 Kings 5, 2 and 3. Let's see what happens. Now, bands from Aram, they would, uh, uh, armies, would go out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. Now, I'm sure we'll set the stage here. She probably would get the Gucci slippers and, and, and pull down the bed and get the tea and crumpets and whatever they wanted. And, um, and so this girl, she says to her mistress, ma'am, if only my master would have and go see the prophet who is in Samaria, he'd cure him of his leprosy. Just go see the prophet. No leprosy, no problem. It's just easy. Well, and you got to remember something about Naaman. Naaman's a great man, extremely wealthy. And Naaman doesn't go second class. He hangs out with the top clientele, folks. He's not on the B list. He's the A-lister. Power people come see Naaman. But this part comes with a promise that if you go see this prophet, and it says, if you don't, you know, you can imagine, if you don't mind me saying, this guy will take care of you, no problem. So she's getting attention of the prophet. All right. Look at number three then. And number three is a plan's promise. A plan's promise. Let's look at verses four through six. Now Naaman, he went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Now remember, his master is the king. So there's nobody higher than that. So he goes to him and says, now listen, this is what she said. And he goes, oh, well, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I'll send a letter. Now is he going to send a letter to the prophet? I ain't going to hate write some old stupid prophet. 
He said, I'm going to write the king. I'll write the king of Israel. Let's write him a note. And he says, I'm going to send him, uh, you know, to, you can go there. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of Armani suits. Let's stop there just for a moment. How many garments did the Son of God have? One. They're very expensive. He's going to go for a little trip. What's he take? Ten sets of clothing. In today's market of gold being twelve, thirteen hundred dollars an ounce, he's carrying in cash about ten million dollars. What? How many of you have 10 million bucks just to throw in the trunk of the car? Because you're going to head to Reseda. Come on. Anybody? Because I'd like to talk to you about some buildings I'd like to build. <laughs> come on. Nobody's got the. Come on. Naaman. Are you kidding? 10 sets of clothing? This guy's great. And so he, he, he takes all this stuff and the letter that he took to the king of Israel says this, uh, with letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so you can cure him of his leprosy. Thank you very much. Now how many here, don't raise your hand, would go to Barack Obama to be healed? Anyone? Any, anyone? Okay. And so they write the king of Israel because Naaman has leprosy. So they're not going to go see some dumb old prophet someplace or some evangelist in a tent meeting somewhere. They're going to go to the top, to the upper echelon. So they, they call and he, he has a note because no cell phones, but sends a note, I'm sending the best I've got, heal him, Mr. King of Aram. And so the great man comes with a great note, all this money, Naaman was worth it because he's a great man with a great problem. All right, let's look at what happens with a purpose for purification. Now, 2 Kings 5, 7 through 10, here's where it gets really interesting. Now, and that's why um, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter that was sent to him, he didn't have a lot of clothes, but he tore the ones he had. He tears his robes and said, am I a God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send somebody to me to be cured of his leprosy? He's trying to pick a quarrel with you. So how he perspective is, is that the king of Aram is goading him into a battle, a fight. Because he said, I can't heal anybody. This is ridiculous. So he tears his robes. He's undone. What's he going to do? Um, this is a mess. Now, 
when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, probably thought to himself, kind of expensive to do that. He sent a message to him. Don't tear any more of your clothes. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. So, Naaman went with his horses, his chariots, his 10 million bucks, his 10 sets of clothing, and he's off to go see the prophet. And there, by the way, he sang a song during that time. I'm off to see the prophet, the wonderful prophet of God. Because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does, right? Is that where it came from? A little levity, folks. All right. So he heads to go see the prophet. Going to go see what's going to go on there with his bags of gold and his Rolex and all this other stuff. Now, here's what he does. Um, going to verse 10, it says, I'm all in. I'm going I'm to do what God says I need to do. But there's a problem. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Now, come on. He's a great man, a big man. And he goes to some prophet's little shanty and does this. The prophet doesn't come to the door. He sends his sidekick. And so the sidekick comes to the door and he he says, uh, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed and slams the door. If, come on, you're Naaman. You got 10 million bucks in the chariots. You got your clothes, you got your watch, you got your ring, you got everything. And some little nobody comes to the door and, and cracks it open and says, go to the Jordan River and dip in it seven times. You'll be cleansed and shuts the door in your face. Well, Naaman, he's not happy. Because Naaman wants to talk to the big people, the big, the big top stuff. And when you read the story, he doesn't go and say, well, wait a minute. I'll do whatever you say. He doesn't do that. In fact, he probably looks at the Jordan River. Now, folks, if you've been to Israel, which I have 30-something times, the Jordan River is a mud hole. And it, it, it rushes at Mount Hermon at this base where it gets its source from the Dan and from Mount Hermon. And it's beautiful there. But once it makes its way down into the valley, into the Jezreel Valley, it's, it's kind of, it's muddy. It, it's, it's, uh, Looks like something out of Bakersfield. <laughs> Anybody ever been to Buena Vista? What is Buena Vista? It's a mud hole, right? We go there every year. If somebody perished the thought, but one inch under the water, you can't see nothing, not a thing. And so anyway, sorry. Elisha sent a messenger, wash yourself in the mud hole, and your flesh shall be restored, and you will be cleansed. 
That'd be like, come on. Somebody said, go to Buena Vista, dip in it seven times, and your leprosy will be, you know, your cancer will be cured. How many would rush right on over? You go, oh, no, no thanks. Uh, I don't think I'll do that. And so it leaves this, this context of this thing that Naaman takes at it. And after he arrives at him, just this all-in thing, go to the Jordan, go all in, get wet. And you, you got to think to yourself, he's, in order to do that, he's got to strip his clothes off. Then everybody will know he has leprosy. He's not going to dip in his clothes. And you could see the Time magazine, great leader is all wet. <laughs> you know, great general takes a dip. And you, you could go, uh-oh. But come on, how many of you know we serve the God of the ridiculous? Amen. Oh, come on. There's so many ridiculous things in the Bible. Hey, Joshua, don't open your mouth, just run around the building and it'll fall down. Come on, how many know that's ridiculous? You just, you go, that? I'm not gonna, Gideon, you can subdue the Midianites with 300 men, don't say a word, take some pots and take a trumpet, break the pots and blow the trumpet. It'll work. Ooh. Jehoshaphat, though you have five armies coming against you that outnumber you eight to one, don't worry. Let the men sing. If the men will sing, you will win. What? I still remember this as I'm standing here. It was when uh, Christmas came on uh, on a Sunday. So New Year's was on a Sunday. And the Lord told me about four months before, he goes, he spoke to me very clearly. He goes, I want you to tell people to bring a glass jar and break it because I'm going to break the things that ever, whatever they write on that glass jar, I'll break. Oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. So I said, no, thanks. And I didn't, you know, how God deals with you. No, no, no. And finally about... <sighs> end of December, I was all done out. So I go, all right, I'll tell them. I said, everybody bring a glass, a jar, something you can write on with a marks a lot, something and say, whatever you want God to break this year. And we're going to break it in the parking lot. And God said, he told me he'd break whatever it was. And, and I just kind of almost did it ashamed because it's so stupid, it's ridiculous. So I got a yellow tape and put it out in the parking lot and made this big thing. And People brought stuff and they wrote stuff on it. And they started throwing stuff in the parking lot and crying, crying, weeping. And lo and behold, um, later on I found out, you couldn't believe how many things that people wrote on those things that God broke that in their life that time, just like that. There was a guy that was there and he brought a fifth of, uh, of uh, wild turkey. And he threw it on the ground and it didn't break. you imagine? It didn't break. He picked, he went over the yellow line, which he wasn't supposed to do, picked it up again and threw it and it didn't break. Wow. He hit it against the wall and broke it the third time. And as I'm standing here, it was three years before he was sober. But he got sober after three years. I can't believe how much God honored the stupidity of writing something on a glass jar. 
But you know what I found out in the scripture? I'm right good company, man. Great company. Naaman, go to the mud hole Jordan and dip in it and you'll be well. And Naaman thought that was ridiculous. You know, I like this because of what it says. Let's, let's go to a public cure. The last uh, number five here, a public cure. But Naaman went away angry. Goes away angry. And he said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turns away and goes off in a rage. He's a great man. You're going to tell me to do something that's stupid? Do I look stupid? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go down there. I'm going to go to my own river. Your mud hole here in Israel. Your Buena Vista. I'm not going to go there. And you know, think about it. So Naaman comes to this place and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding? And, and he says, I thought you would come. The prophet would wave his hand and it would cure me. How many of you have ever thought that God had to meet your need in a certain way? I thought, well, this is how he's going to do it. He's going to have, you know, if I was thinking in my mind how to raise money to build buildings in Kenya, I'd have done it by finding very wealthy donors, having a $100 a plate dinner, having an advertisement, and, uh, you know, raise money as a fundraiser. No, I didn't do that. I just decided God could do whatever he wanted, and he does. And, and so sometimes we think God has to move a certain way. God has to do something a certain way. And, and, and sometimes, ever gotten mad because he didn't? Oh, God, I thought you'd heal them. I, I thought this relationship was right. I thought you would give me this. I thought you would do that. And we go away mad that God did not do what we thought he should do. Wow. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you go wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And as the man of God told him, you got to go all in. Go all in. Bet the farm. Go for it. Go broke. So he bets it all. He's all in. He goes down and dips in the Jordan. And guess what happens? He became restored like that of a young boy. I mean, listen to the voices. Don't miss them. If my people who are called by my name will go all in and humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will you hear from heaven. Or the psalmist who said, the Lord leads the humble. 
or Solomon, the Lord knows how to favor those who will bow before him. Micah, the prophet, says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love mercy? And um, Jesus will say this, whoever will humble themselves and become like a child and come to me, that's the kingdom. You got to go all in. And that's why gold, silver, clothing, none of it, none of it matters. Not at all. Lose your life and you'll find it. Everything is a loss. Paul says everything is rubbish. It's like trash. Naaman will sufficiently find there is no notion of our own greatness that will ever heal us. Only God. And when Naaman says, I'm all in, I'm all in. I believe that the grace of God is simply waiting for us to come to him. I simply believe that no matter what you do in your life, God's grace is always going ahead of you. Always, always. And he'll meet you at that place that you need to meet him when you're all in. Jesus said, you must, to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's all or nothing, folks. No middle ground. You gotta be able to show, you know, who you are. There was a movie several years ago called Saving Private Ryan. At the end of that movie, the guy who was Ryan in that, at the end of his life, he's really old. And he's sitting and he's kneeling in, in, in front of the person who had gave his life, his sergeant. He says, was I worth it? Did I live up to the expectation? And sometimes I wonder that we beat ourselves up thinking we haven't done it, that we don't have enough, that we're not good enough or whatever that may be. But you realize that what Christ asks of us is simply to go all in. And trust him in faith. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Everybody with me? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for providing a home. And the reason that we want a building is because people matter. We need each other. That's why we gather. And I, I love what you do, Lord, when we don't even expect it and it's different from what we perceive. And that's why all of us, Lord, help us to understand that sometimes what you do will be so ridiculous that it just takes faith. We're not gonna sort it out. We're not gonna make it work. Our minds will not conceive of it. It's just you and you're working. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of your great grace and for anyone that might be here this morning that doesn't know Christ as Savior, you got to be all in. If you believe in your heart that Christ died and rose again, Scripture says you'll be saved. I believe it. But there's also something, if right where you're at, you say, God, forgive me. He'll do it. But also be ready for change. Because the next step after following and accepting Christ is change. 
And Lord, as Naaman, as great as he was and as wealthy as he was, he couldn't heal his leprosy. Only you could do that. And so, Lord, I ask that today that we'd be encouraged as people leave uh, Antioch Church, that they'd be able to tell somebody today, you can bet in faith, go all in. God always meets us in those times of need. Thank you how you've supplied for this church, for this new family, this new gathering, a new home. And I ask blessing upon this congregation, upon their pastors, upon all that they do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.